morning, everybody. How we doing? Good. It's good to see you guys. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Jeremy, but uh, hey, we're glad that you're here, guys. Uh, my name's Stephen Courtney. I'm one of the pastors here at Timber Creek Church, and Pastor Jeremy is uh, giving me the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. Hopefully, he doesn't regret that later, but uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I get to hang out with you guys. It's been a great morning so far already. Hey, why don't we take a minute and say welcome to our online campus who joins us every week via online, and then also for our guys in Dieball at our Dieball campus. Give those guys a hand for joining us this morning. Awesome. Man, I tell you, God is doing some incredible things at our Die Ball campus. And hey, guys out there in Die Ball, we love you. We are so glad that you are part of Timber Creek Church family. And it's going to be an incredible morning today. Amen? Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you've been with us, you know that... Ever since the first of the year, we've been going through a series called The Story. It's a 31-week series, a journey that we're walking through this year as a church. And uh, we're reading a book together called The Story that looks just like this. And um, basically, it's about 80% of the Bible. Um, If you're reading along with it, you're reading about 80% of the Bible. And individuals, families are all reading it together. And it's just been an incredible time since about January, February, since we started this series. And how many of you have enjoyed Pastor Jeremy's messages on Sunday mornings as we walk through this? Man, it's been awesome, hasn't it? So much to learn from God's Word. And if you're new with us this morning, hey, we'd love for you to jump in and join us. You can pick up that that book there in our bookstore there in the cafe and read along with us. Uh, Today we are landing in chapter 10. And uh, I get the privilege of of sharing with you guys from that chapter and and from God's Word. And if you've read that chapter, maybe you haven't, um, it, it talks about a lot of things. It ends up talking a lot about King Saul, um, but I'm not going to land there today. I'm going to back up and at the very beginning of it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it talks about a lady named Hannah, and I'm going to land there today if that's all right with you guys. And so I'm going to jump right in. We're going to be uh, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'm going to read through that here this morning so you can read along with me. Starting in verse 2, he had two wives. Everybody say, uh-oh. He had two wives, Uh uh-oh. He is Elkina. He's this man named Elkina, and he's got two wives, and he's got got some problems. Um, One was called Hannah, who we're going to be talking about this morning a lot, and the other was Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. You see, Hannah was unable to have children. And in the Old Testament times, a woman who could not have children was basically considered a, a failure. Um, it was not, it's not a good thing, and, and she, she is struggling with this when we find her in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Not only that, but her barrenness was a social embarrassment, not just to her, but to her husband, right? This was difficult. This was hard. Why is that? Because children were a very important part of, of the society's economic structure at that time, uh, to have children. It's a big deal. Verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penaniah, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. 
Now, it's interesting that it's worded that way, right? She, uh, there was not a medical condition. It doesn't say that there, something happened or something was medically wrong that she couldn't have children. It specifically says that God had closed her womb. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, okay, her rival, who is her rival? It's Penaniah, right? This other wife. Right, last week Pastor Jeremy spoke on Ruth and Boaz, and he said this is like a love story, right, that we find in God's word. Well, today's a little bit of drama. Today's a little bit of some soap opera going on here. It's not so much a love story right here, and, and there's some drama there. Verse 6 again, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. You have anybody that irritates you? Amen. Yeah, that's right. All of us have that, right? Again, Children were a source of labor uh, for the family. It was the children's duty to care for their parents in their old age. And if a wife could not bear children, she was often obligated to, uh, by Middle Eastern customs at that time, to give one of her servants over to her husband, right, to bear children for her. And we've seen this before in Scripture, haven't we? In fact, if you've been with us through this series, we've talked about that a little bit. There are other examples of this in the scriptures, and it caused some drama. It caused some problems. In fact, some of those problems we're still dealing with to this very day, right, from years and years ago. And although Elkina, the husband, could have left Hannah, and he could, he could have, right? A husband was permitted in that day to divorce his wife if she could not have children, But he remained lovingly dedicated to her despite the social criticism and and his rights under civil law. So he's not such a bad guy, right? Um, He loved her and he he kept her around. He he stayed with her, right? Verse 7. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, there's that rival again, Penaniah, provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So guys, this is not just a one-time thing or happened a couple times. This is year after year. She is reminded again and again the fact that she can't have children, and this is difficult. This is hard, and then she's got this other wife there that's provoking her and taunting her, and it's tough. But you know, guys, part of God's plan for Hannah involved postponing her years of having children. That's tough, but it's true. And for many of you sitting here today, you know God has a plan, and he's postponing it for some reason. And that's hard, and that's tough. And, and I wish I had answers for that. But I can tell you this, the answer I do have is that God has a plan. Just like he had a plan for Hannah, he's got a plan for you, right? While Penaniah and Elkanah looked at Hannah's outward circumstances, the fact that she couldn't have children, God was moving ahead with his plan. He was behind the scenes working his plan, and he's going to do the same for you and I. And are you struggling right now with that idea? Are you struggling with God's timing? You're like, man, God, I know that you've got this plan for me. I know that you want to save this marriage. I know that you want to, you want to rescue me from this and that. I know that you've got this specific thing for me to do, but God, I'm waiting, and it's hard to wait. Anybody like to wait? I don't. Postponing, right? In the midst of our pain and challenges, God has a plan. And I I want that to encourage you this morning. Verse 8 and 9. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? 
How many, yeah, you're laughing, Rob, because you know how many of us husbands, we try to swoop in and have something to say that's going to make everything better, and we should just shut up, guys, right? How many of us have done that? Uh, how many of us did that this morning? It's okay, be brave, right? I see a few hands, right? We, we try to, to, to say something to help our wife, to encourage her, and I can just picture Hannah looking at him with that little laugh, you know, like, you're funny, whatever, just shut up, you know, and, um, but he's trying, right? He's trying to be a good, good husband. Verse 9, once when they had, had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. You see, Hannah, Hannah knew her husband loved her, um, but even his encouragement couldn't comfort her because she was just having a tough time. It, this was a, a hard season for her. She could not keep from listening to Penaniah's taunting and her insults. And she was letting Penaniah's words and lies erode any self-confidence that she had in herself. Does that sound familiar to your situation? You've allowed the enemy to Satan to just feed you lies and taunt you. And so much that it just erodes away at your self-confidence. You're trying to get up off the mat, but every time that you do, another lie from the enemy or someone else is, that's in your life hits you like a ton of bricks and you fall right back down to the mat again. And sometimes we just don't even want to get up off the mat, right? We just don't even want to get up. We just want to stay down. And although we can't keep others from criticizing us or being hurtful or being critical, we can choose how we will react to those hurtful words and to that criticism, how do you react in those situations? How are you reacting in it right now? Even though we can't keep others from doing those things and saying those hurtful things, we can choose how we will react to the enemy, how we will react to other people. We can choose. We can remember what Scripture tells us. And maybe you don't know this, but I'm here to tell you guys, those of you that are in that place right now, and it's hard for you, Scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? That you are God's masterpiece. I'll get excited about that. I mean, that's, that's a good thing, right? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. That is scripture. That's not something I came up with. That's the, the truth of scripture that God is speaking to you and over you. And you don't have to believe those hurtful words, those lies. You can choose how you're going to react. Verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. You know, Hannah, Hannah had good reason to be discouraged. I'm sure that she wanted to give up, but she didn't. She didn't give up. Instead of giving up, she prayed. She, she brought her problem and her situation honestly before God. And each of us face times of barrenness in our life where nothing seems to come to birth. You know what I'm saying? We, we just have that, those times in our life where it just won't come to life. It won't come to birth. And, and it's difficult for us in those moments to pray in faith because we feel so ineffective. We feel so discouraged in those moments. But as Hannah found out, prayer opens the door for God to work. It does. Prayer is such an important part of this story and so many other stories. It opens the door for God to work. Verse 11 through 17. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. 
Hannah was, was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. So basically, she is at such a desperate place. She is so miserable, and, and, and just in that moment that he... God, the priest even thinks that she's drunk. And the way she's praying and the way she's acting, it's just a very tough moment for her. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. In verse 17, Eli answered, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. This is a desperate, desperate prayer that she's praying. Um, have you ever prayed a prayer of desperation? I know I have. There's been some moments when I've, when I've been in desperation, crying out to God. And in her anguish, she vows that if God gives her a son, she will dedicate that boy to serve the Lord. Is she striking a deal with God? Is this the, hey, let's make a deal, God, kind of game going on here? I mean, is she saying, hey, God, if you, if you do this, then I'll certainly do that. You know, God, if you'll just do this over here for me, I promise, I, I promise you that I'll do that. No, I don't think that's what she's doing. I believe that she was at a desperate place, but she knew God was faithful. And that he would give her the desires of her heart to have a son. And you know, the Bible tells us that God does give us the desires of our heart. Love that verse. Does that mean that God gives us whatever we want? Does he? No, he doesn't, right? God is not a genie in the bottle. He's not a slot machine where we put a prayer token into the slot and pull the lever and then out comes whatever you want. It doesn't work that way, right? We take that scripture in Psalm 37, 4 where he says he'll give us the desires of our heart. We take that a bit out of context sometimes and think that God will just do whatever we want him to do as long as we just ask him for it and we just pray, right? But here's the deal. God will give you the desires of your heart according to to his purposes for us. Amen? It's according to his purposes, right? His plans. Because his plans, his purposes are greater than your plans and your purposes. Verse 18. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. So wait just a second. You know, what happened? What, what changed all of a sudden? She's there, she's praying, she's having this desperate prayer with God, and, and she still didn't have a child yet. She still didn't have any news that she was going to have this child, right? But she's no longer sad. What had changed? I believe what changed is that she made a choice. She made a choice to put it into God's hands, where she knew it would be taken care of, where she knew she could trust by putting it into God's hands. She decided to leave the problem with Jesus, and this is the, the answer to our discouragement as well. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you just need to trust the Lord. You need to put it into his hands and know that he loves you, and he wants to take care of you. Tell the Lord how you really feel, and leave that problem or circumstances in his hands. He can handle it, guys. He can handle it. Do you know that? I mean, do you, believe, do you truly believe that this morning? His hands are strong. His hands are big. His hands can, can handle it. Okay, then what do you uh, what you do is to form there. Um, what you form around that is the the support that you need. You go from that moment after giving it to God and putting it in His hands. Understand the strength and the support that comes from the body of Christ. 
There's moments in my life when, when I've got to just put trust things into God's hands, and then I need you guys. I need the men and women in my life that will lift me up and support me in prayer. That's why we say don't do life alone around here. Because all of us have stuff we got to put in God's hands, and we need people to walk with us to encourage us. We need to surrender it to God in his hands. And with surrender, you know, there's a willingness to surrender that brings blessing. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for my life. If I will just surrender it, if I'm willing to do that, then it will bring blessing. Verse 19 and 20. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord. And then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. I love that part. He remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So what she wanted all this time, God has blessed her and given her a son. Isn't it awesome that not only did God bless her with Samuel, if you read a little bit further, you start to realize that Samuel was just the first baby that was born to her. She ends up having more sons and daughters, which is really cool. You know, God didn't just bless her with the one that she wanted so desperately. He ends up giving her more children down the road. And I say that to say this, you can never give more to God than he gives back to you. Believe that this morning. You can never give more to God than he gives back to you. Verse 21 through 28. I'm going to finish reading this chapter. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him to the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed home at home. And nursed him until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was. He was probably around three to five years old when she took him with her. Uh, Along with a three-year-old bull, an epa of flour, and a skin of wine. And brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, hey, you remember me? (laughs) Right? She said, pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live... I am the woman who stood there beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to to the Lord. For his whole life will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So it makes you stop and think, wait a second. She, She prayed and prayed and prayed for this child. She wanted this baby boy so bad. God gives it to her, and a few short time later, she gives him back to God. Uh, Do you guys understand what's happening here? She didn't just take him to this place and then go home with him. She went and she left him there to be taught, to be trained, right, with these priests, right? She knew that God had a plan. So this woman that, that wanted him so bad now has him, and then she gives him back. And it's, it's interesting that she does that, and what she's doing is Hannah placed Samuel back into God's hands, God had placed, her in, placed him into her hands, and now she was giving him back to the Lord, putting him in his hands. After all the pain and the season of pain that she walked through, once Samuel reached a certain age, she placed him back into God's hands to do what she promised the Lord she would do. Hannah gave up what she wanted most, which was her son, and presented him to serve the Lord. 
In dedicating her only son to God, Hannah was dedicating her entire life and her future to God. And so, so is Samuel's as well. You know what's good to know? Because Samuel's life was from God, Hannah was not really giving him up anyway. Rather, she was returning him to God, who had given Samuel to Hannah in the first place. And that's what dedicating your children to the Lord is about. Right? The stage will be full with some families next Sunday of families dedicating their children to the Lord. I have three amazing children, and we dedicated all three of them. I know that God has blessed me with these children. You know, I look over at Natalie. She's 12 years old, and I love her. I'm so proud of her. Would do anything for her. God gave me the responsibility to raise her, to teach her about the Lord, and to, and to be in her life. But I've got to give her back. I've got to give her back to the Lord. And, and I want her to serve the Lord with all that she's got. Because really, she's his, right? I just get the responsibility to be her dad for a while, which I'm thankful for. But that's dedication, right? What a powerful story, amen? What a neat story. One of just tons of incredible stories that fit within the story of God, right? And I'm just, again, so excited that we as a church are reading the Bible together corporately. It's, it's encouraging to know that so many of us are reading together and, and reading the same thing together, coming in here on Sunday mornings, hearing from Pastor Jeremy as he teaches us on what we're learning. And, you know, at my house, it looks a little bit like this. You might be wondering why we have a sofa and a table up here. Um, I don't have as cool of a couch as this, but we've got a couch in our living room. And some nights, let me just say some nights, any young families out there? Some nights, not every night, okay? Let me make that very clear. Some nights we read the story together. I wish it was every night, but we're just like you guys. We, uh, we're busy. We, we, you know, we have three kids and between school and swim practices and swim meets and baseball games and, and school and Ellie and I working, we're busy like everybody else. But there's some nights that we sit down on the couch together just like this and we read the story together. Some nights are, we don't have as much time, and so Ellie might be tucking Audrey in, our five-year-old, and reading uh, the story from the preschool story Bible. Um, and some nights I tuck Landon in, and, and I'm reading from uh, his, his version of the story. He's a nine-year-old. And then Natalie, she's, she's been reading the story from the teen version that they have. But it's so cool that we get to sit down together as a family and read and discuss the same things. And I hope that you're doing the same thing, too. And you know what? To tell the story of God... You know, really, to tell our story is to tell the story of God, right? Each and every one of you in this room has a story, just like I do. And to tell our story of what God's doing in our life, what he has done, what he's going to do, right? He's still writing our stories. But to tell that story is to tell the story of God. I also put up here in your living room at your coffee table, you might have a photo album, right? How many of you have a photo album at your coffee table, right? What's inside the photo album? Photos, right? Very good, very good. And you see pictures like this, right? And all these pictures are of individuals. They tell a story, right? All these pictures tell a story. Well, I want to share with you guys this morning a little bit about my story and how my story fits within the story. And it illustrates a little bit of what we've been talking about this morning. I was adopted. Um, I was, it was all planned before I was born. Some of you know me and you know that story a little bit. Some of you may not know that story. Um, but it was, again, all planned before I was born. And I was adopted into a family here in Texas, in Beaumont, Texas, just up the road. And Larry and Pam Courtney, uh, we got a picture of them here. This is my mom and dad. They're so cute, aren't they? And I uh, love that picture. And I was adopted into their family and so thankful for that. They're just wonderful, wonderful people, thankful for my family. 
You know, they got married in 1972, and shortly after they got married, they tried to have children, and they couldn't. Just for medical reasons and different things, they, they could not have children. And that was obviously really tough for both my parents, especially my mom. It was very similar to what we just read about with Hannah. And there came a time where my mom, as she walked through that difficult time, just had to give that to the Lord. She had to place that into God's hands. And after a few years, they were presented with the opportunity to adopt. And in 1976, they adopted my older sister, Krista Courtney. And, um, and they began their family through adoption. And they still prayed and hoped that they could have children naturally. But um, a couple years later, they were given an opportunity to adopt another child. And um, they weren't necessarily planning on it at the time, but they felt like God was in it. And they said, yeah, let's do that. The pastor of their church in Beaumont, Texas, uh, Cathedral in the Pines Christian Center, approached them and said, hey, I know about a lady in California that wants to uh, uh, give her child up for adoption. And I think you guys would be great. And I'm going out to California next week. And I actually get the opportunity to meet her. Well, while that's all going on, there's another lady I'd like to introduce you to, Cheryl Silva. And this is my birth mom. And uh, this is a picture of her, and at that time in her life, she was single, not married, and she was in California living in uh, Yosemite National Park. She worked in the park. She was a park ranger and loved it out there. It's a beautiful place. And uh, after working there about eight years, she, she met a guy that she knew was married um, and got into a relationship with a guy that just was out there for a short time. Uh, he was a builder, and he was working on part of the park. And they began a relationship. She knew that wasn't right. She knew that wasn't the, the wisest thing to do. But she kind of was infatuated with the guy. And uh, he pursued her, and, and they began a relationship. Shortly after that, she found out she was pregnant. That was not part of the plan. And um, she was faced with this decision of what she was going to do. And this guy that she was so infatuated with, my birth father, uh, kind of turned on her. Not kind of, he really did. I mean, he went directly to her and threatened her and said, there can be no baby. Um, wanted her to abort the baby. Um, obviously, she didn't do that. I'm glad she didn't do that. I wouldn't be here today. And, um, but he, he tried all kinds of measures to get her to do what he wanted her, he thought she should do. Um, she had a lot of great people around her in the park there that were with her and protected her during that time. And after he left the park, she um, had to kind of begin to face what she was going to do. Um, and there was, there's a beautiful little chapel in the valley of Yosemite National Park. I got another picture here. That's a real picture of it that Ellie and I took when we were there. It's really pretty. It's in the valley floor of Yosemite National Park. It's a church. It still is a church. And at that time, there was a couple that were pastors there, Paula, John and Paula Davis. John just happened to be from Beaumont, Texas. And um, they took her in, my birth mom. And they took care of her, they loved on her, they counseled her. They put a, a plate at the table, a place at their table every single night for nine months for her to come and eat with them and just take care of her and, and pray over her, pray over me, the baby. Um, just incredible people. And so she began to try to figure out, she had other people that came to her. In fact, my birth father came back to the park now with his wife because she knew what was going on. And they tried to threaten and convince her to, to abort me again. Um, she wouldn't do it, and then they were like, well, let's just, let us just adopt him then. She said, no, I'm not going to let you do that, and glad she didn't let him do that. And um, so she had you know, a lot of people pulling at her on what she should do or not do, um, but through uh, the grace of God and just the, the, the pastor and his wife and the people in her life, she knew that she either wanted to keep me or give me up for adoption, 
she, had a, she grew up with a single mom, and she, she thought at first, I can do this. My mom did it. I'll just raise him myself. But then she began to realize that her and her sister truly missed having a father and, and hated that they didn't have a father in their life. And so she realized she wanted to put me up for adoption. And so, again, the pastor of her church there in Yosemite was from Beaumont, Texas. And he had a guest speaker coming from a church in Beaumont, Texas, Cathedral in the Pines, coming to speak at this church, this chapel, on a Sunday morning. And so he came, he spoke, and then he walked up to my birth mom, Cheryl, and he had a picture in his hand of Larry and Pam Courtney and their little girl, Krista. And they said, he just said, look, he said, I, I know John really well. We've been talking. I knew, that, I knew about you. I knew that you were wanting to put your baby up for adoption. I have a great family, a great couple that I think would be great to adopt your, your child. And she took that picture, went back to her room and cried quite a bit. It was pretty emotional. It was all becoming very real to her. That what she knew what she needed to do. She came back later that afternoon and just said, hey, um, I, I think this is all God. This is right. I feel a peace about this. I want, to, I want them to have my baby. And so September 5th, 1978, I was born, and um, I was in the hospital a few days. Once I was released from the hospital, I was on a plane in the arms of, of Pam Courtney and Larry Courtney on my way to Texas. So I, didn't, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. Is that all right? <laughs> awesome. And uh, fast forward a little bit, um, there's so much to this story, so I'm trying to keep it short, but um, when I was six years old, seven years old, they sat me down one night and they told me that I was adopted. Uh, I remember being a little bit confused and didn't know exactly what that meant and all that, but uh, they spoke so highly of Cheryl. Um, it was a private adoption, and the only thing Cheryl asked is that from time to time that they would write letters and just send pictures of me growing up. And, and she wanted to do the same. She would write letters and send pictures of her. And, um, but they always spoke so highly of her. Uh, my parents did, and I appreciate that so much. And she, you know, just that she was just this incredible lady. In fact, John Davis, who was the pastor of the church in Yosemite, his grandmother attended cathedral, and she would secretly write her letters and tell her what I was wearing at church that day and where I sat in church and all this kind of stuff. So she had a lot of people writing to her, letting her know what I was up to. So I had to be, I guess, on my best behavior. But uh, when I was 17, um, I went out to the mailbox, and it was my birthday, and I got a card in the mail, and it was from Cheryl Silva, my mom. And I'd never received anything from her before up to that point. She asked my parents if it was okay, and... Uh, they said, yeah, that's great, and she sent me this card, and it was just, I still have it to this day, just this cool card that she sent me, and so from that point on, we began to write back and forth. She also mentioned in one of the letters, hey, if you ever want to call me on the phone and your parents are okay with it, here's my phone number, you can call me, and I remember sitting on the couch one, that spring of my junior year in high school, and me and my dad were talking about Cheryl and all my story and all that kind of stuff, and he said, you should call her. I was like, right now? He's like, yeah, just call her. And we did. We just cold called her that, that night on the couch. And it was a little awkward, but it was the first time I got to hear the voice of my birth mom. And um, from there, we just kept building our relationship, talking on the phone occasionally, but writing. Um, she was so good about writing letters. And in that fall of my senior year, um, her and her husband, she had gotten married in 1990 to an incredible man that she's still married to today, Steve Silva, and he just loves the Lord. He's an incredible guy, and um, they got married in 1990. Well, they flew out to Beaumont uh, my senior year of high school, and uh, we, we planned all this trip out. My parents were excited about it. They were good with it. So here she was flying, and I can't tell you what it's like to drive from Beaumont to Houston in the car with my mom to go pick up my mom. It was... Uh, <laughs> 
It was interesting. It was all these emotions, you know, for all of us involved. But we had an incredible weekend, and my family just embraced them as family. They were so sweet to them. And then later that year, when I graduated from high school, my best friend and I flew out to California and met all of, and stayed with her for 10 days, met all of her family, um, and they all embraced me and took me in. I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible thing. And it, not every adoption story turns out like that, but mine did. And, you know, I went through some really tough years after I graduated high school. It was about a year before I went off to Bible college, and I just had some really tough seasons. That was a tough season in my life. And I began to realize how God had placed this woman, my other mom, back into my life. And how she was such a prayer warrior. And I found out how she had prayed for me from day one until today. She just prays every day for me. And, and, and just how she had been put back into my life and me back into her life. Just incredible. And, and now my kids have three sets of grandparents. It's so cool. They're so blessed. I mean, Ellie's parents, Pam and Larry Courtney from Beaumont, and then Papa Steve and Grandma Cheryl from Fresno, California, you know, and they come out here. They've been out here a couple times. They're coming back in, in August, and um, they're just incredible people. And, and on our wedding day, um, it was so cool because instead of two moms, there were three moms that came on stage and, and lit the unity candle. And, and again, I just give so much credit to Pam and Larry, my parent, my adoptive parents, for letting that happen. They didn't have to, um, but they did, and I'm so grateful for it. But they, Cheryl put... She put her situation, sorry, she put, she put me in God's hands. Thank you. She put me, she didn't know how it was going to turn out, you know. She didn't know if she'd ever see me again, you know. She put me literally in God's hands and had to trust God in this whole situation by putting it in God's hands. And just like Hannah, just like Pam did, just like Cheryl did, we have to place things into God's hands and trust and know that he's got a plan and that he's going to take care of us. Let me finish with this. There's some big things that we can learn from Hannah. There's some big things we can learn, learn from the example of Hannah, of Cheryl Silva, of Pam Courtney, and many others. Here's one thing. We should place our challenges in God's hands through prayer. Prayer is interwoven through all of this. The story of Hannah, the story of both my moms and my family, uh, your story, my story, prayer is so interwoven through all of it. Have you ever noticed that most of the time prayer is not our first natural response to problems and challenges? I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Um, I know it is for me sometimes. Um, even when God has done so much, sometimes he's not my, my first response. Many times prayer and turning to our Heavenly Father is kind of the last resort for many of us, isn't it? For Hannah, she could have dealt with her problem in other ways. She could have become angry at God and blamed him for closing her womb. Right? She could have blamed everyone else involved in the situation. She could have given her husband an ultimatum. She could have said, all right, buddy, it's time to choose, take your pick. How many of you ladies would have done that a long time ago, right? <laughs> right? But she could have drowned in self-pity and, and become really bitter. But she didn't. She didn't become any of those things. She placed her challenge in God's hands through prayer. Hannah understood the power of Psalms 46.1. And she learned to lay hold of God in prayer as her refuge and as her strength and a very real help in a time of trouble. And we can do the same thing. Prayer is our means of access to the all-sufficient, the all-powerful God who alone can meet our needs no matter what they are. 
Yes, we can, we can seek godly counsel um, concerning our problems and our situations. Yes, we should get medical help if the problem is medically related. Yes, there are some practical steps that you and I can take to help resolve problems in our life. But prayer should be interwoven through that whole process. From the beginning to the very end, guys, prayer should be right there in the middle of all of it. Prayer is laying hold of the living God who understands our deepest needs. Prayer is acknowledging that we are depending totally, totally on Him. Again, by nature, we are self-sufficient. We can handle it. We can do it all ourselves. We think we can handle things all by ourselves with an occasional boost from God here and there. And so we just keep him tucked away in our back pocket just for emergencies, don't we? Right? I heard it said once here recently that God wants prayer to be your steering wheel, not your spare tire. But too many times we treat it as a spare tire. We do. And he wants it to be the steering wheel at front and center. Right? But then God brings us up against something that we can't handle by ourselves. Right? Then what do we do? God, God never said that he wouldn't give us more than we can handle. A lot of people quote that thinking that's from the Bible. He didn't say that. He said we would not be tempted beyond what we can bear. But he does give us things that we can't handle sometimes. Right? Last weekend I had the opportunity to go to Springfield, Missouri with Pastor Dan and a couple guys. We had a great time at a men's conference. And we were in this arena with 8,400 other men. It was awesome. We had a great time. Powerful time of worship some incredible speakers. One of my favorite was Louis Giglio. And in one of his talks, he talked about this idea of the posture of possibility. And I think that's real important to what we're talking about today. There's this idea, this posture of possibility. And guys, when you put something into God's hands, you're basically saying, God, I can't do this. I can't handle this. And there's this posture, and this is the posture of possibility right here. It's not you standing on your two feet. Men in the room, it's not you standing on your two feet, being big and strong and showing your muscles and saying, I'll throw some money at it. I'll throw this at it. I'll throw that at it. No, this is the posture of possibility. In fact, this is the posture of possibility. Where people may look at it and think, man, that looks like weakness. It's actually strength. It's actually strength because you're sitting there in this posture saying, God, it's yours. I can't do it. I put it in your hands, and I ask that you would take it, that you would take care of it, that you would answer it, that you would provide. And that is a posture of strength. Amen? That's the posture of possibility. The second thing that I think Hannah shows us, the example she shows us, is that we should pray according to God's purpose. Right? Hannah had a need, and her prayer was directed to meet her need. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. We all have needs. But if we stop there, then we really miss it. We miss it, and we don't understand what prayer really is all about. Jesus said that we are to pray for our daily bread. Anybody know that scripture, right? We are to pray for our daily bread. In other words, we need to pray um, that God would meet all of our daily needs and situations. But even before that, we are to pray this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about him. It's about his purposes and his plans, not ours. The purpose of prayer is not to solve all of your problems so that we can live happy, trouble-free, self-centered lives. The purpose of prayer is to get his will done. 
his will done and to glorify him. To understand Hannah's desperate prayer that she prayed um, to give back her son to God, we need to remember that she lived in a spiritually desperate time. It was a day, uh, the day of the judges, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, if you've been reading through the story. And the day of the judges, and here's the deal. Uh, basically, men were saying, hey, it's a time when every man in Israel did what was right in, the, in their own eyes, not in the eyes of the Lord. Kind of sounds a little bit similar to today, right? I'm going to just do things right in my own eyes, not in God's eyes. As it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were not many visions. In fact, Eli's wicked sons, this priest that we read about in chapter 1, these, pre- these guys were serving as priests. They committed immorality with women at the very door of the tabernacle that we find out in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. It was wicked. It was not a good time, right? And God wanted to raise up a man who would hear from him and speak his word faithfully. Hannah understood that God's purpose for his people was to raise up his anointed as king. And anointed in the Hebrew is translated Messiah. And though through Hannah's prayer, God raised up her son Samuel as the very first of the prophets. God, God had a plan, and he used Samuel. That as you continue to read, you see that, right? And then we see that Samuel, through Samuel, as he got older, as you read a little bit further, he shows up at this guy Jesse's house. And he has all these sons that are big and strong lined up to see who's going to be anointed as king. And ends up being the runt outside hanging out with the sheep. David, King David, gets brought in. He's anointed king. The greatest king of Israel, right? We know his story. And then later on we see that through the line of David comes who? Comes the true anointed king, Jesus. God had a plan. He had his purpose. Hannah knew that God's purpose for his people was greater than her personal desire for a son. So while she prayed for a son, she also prayed for God's greater purpose and willingly yielded her son to meet that that purpose. And that's how God wants us to pray. Not just to meet our needs. He wants to meet your needs, guys. He does. But he also wants to fulfill his purpose. He wants his purpose to be fulfilled through the answers to our prayers so he gets the glory for it, not ourselves. When we place our challenges in God's hands and our needs are met, his purpose is fulfilled as well. To finish up, there's a great quote by Martin Luther, and it just fits so well to kind of tie a bow on what we've talked about today. I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed into God's hands, that I still possess. Isn't that good? And that speaks so much to what we're talking about today. I want everybody here to close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute. Go ahead and close your eyes. I mean, you close your eyes for a reason. I want you to picture a set of hands this morning as you're sitting there with your head bowed, your eyes closed. They could be anybody's hands. You know, for me, I think of my my father, Larry Courtney, his hands. He's a big guy, and I can picture him when I was a kid. Big, strong, tough, secure hands that my dad had. They were a little rough. My dad's been in the muffler business for years, so there's some scars on his hands, but they're strong. There's a little bit of dirt underneath the fingernails, but they're big, strong hands when I think of my dad's hands. And as you picture those hands, whether it's your father's hands or whatever, I 
want you to think of God's hands. They're even stronger. And I want to encourage you this morning, no matter who you are, whether you're here for the first time, if you're in Die Ball listening to us today at our Die Ball campus or you're uh, online, God's hands are big enough. They are strong enough. They're not going to let you down. Just as we sang about earlier, he's never going to let you fall. He's never going to let you down. These hands are strong. And he's, those hands are strong enough to handle every circumstance, every situation that you're going through right now. It's able to handle your broken marriage that you feel is beyond repair and falling apart. You can put that in God's hands. That medical uh, situation, that, that doctor's report that you're facing or that you just received, you can put that in God's hands. His hands are big. Whatever it is, that, that addiction, that problem, that situation, that circumstance, you can put it in our Father's hands, and they're big enough to hold it. They're big enough to repair it. For some of you today, it may just simply be that you need to put your life in His hands because you've never surrendered to Him. You tried to do it on your own, and maybe you're realizing, I'm just not so good at this as I thought I was. I've tried to fix it. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to invite Jesus to come into my life where you can place your life, your heart into his hands. And he's got plans. He's got purpose for you. And we can place our lives in his hands. You might say, well, God's got so much to worry about, right? He he doesn't know about me. He's got so much to deal with. You know what's cool is when we get to heaven, there is no sickness. There is no disease. There are no scars. But there are a set of scars on Jesus' hands from those nails that hung him and nailed him to the cross. But those scars are there for a reason and they remind him of you and of me and of every situation all of us face. And his hands are strong enough. His hands are big enough this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that we can't handle everything on our own and we can come to you in prayer and we can place our situations, our circumstances, our everything in your hands trust that you are going to be with us, that you're going to take care of us, that you're going to hold us, you're not going to drop us. And God, at the end of the day, you have a plan. And your purposes are made to come true, Lord God, through our prayers as we trust you, as we place things into your hands. God, I pray for those this morning, God, that maybe that's them. Maybe it's simply the first thing they need to do is just put their life and entrust their life to you by putting their life in your hands. God, that they would surrender to you, God, as we're sitting here right now, God, that they would pray and just say, God, I'm sorry for doing it my own way. I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to begin living for you as I place my life into your hands. God, I pray for every marriage that's being put into your hands today, God. You are more than able to repair what's been broken and torn apart. God, I pray for every person that's struggling, God, with an addiction or or some life-controlling thing, God, we're able to put that in your hands and find the freedom that you want us to have and live in, Lord God. Whatever it is, God, we put it in your hands and we trust you this morning. In your name we pray.